Well, hey everyone. Welcome to episode 338 of F-Stop, Collaborate and Listen with your host, Matt Payne. This week, I sat down and chatted with a photographer that comes highly recommended out of the Cape Cod area, Betty Wiley. Betty has been making images her entire life and has been using and teaching Photoshop since the mid-1990s. Today's conversation meanders through some very fun topics, including her obsession with lighthouses. Before we get started, I have to take a moment to thank the most recent supporters of the podcast on Patreon. These generous and kind souls have stepped up to financially support me and my podcast, which means that I can continue to bring you great content every single week. In fact, We have never skipped a week all the way back to 2017. No other nature photography podcast can say the same thing. Without further ado, please join me in thanking Henry Hopkins, Madeline Gallagher, Gaino Heine, and Brian Lackey. You are all amazing. Thank you. All right, let's get to this week's episode with Betty Wiley. All right, Betty Wiley, it's great to have you on the show. And thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to speaking with you and telling you, giving you my thoughts about photography and I guess anything else you want to know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, almost anything, let me put it that way. Sure, Mm -hmm. I'll I'll take what I can get. Okay, well, I'm happy to start off with a little bit about my background. And that is, I'm originally from Las Vegas, Nevada, and most people, the next question I usually get from people is like, I didn't know people lived in Las Vegas. But I grew up in Las Vegas, did my undergrad in Las Vegas, and um, I've been in New England for, let's see, over 42, 43 years now. So I consider myself a New Englander at this point. Yeah, I could see I could see that. Um, speaking of yeah. New Englanders, you come highly recommended from both Ben Williamson and Michael Blanchett. Oh, that's so nice to hear. I have such enormous respect for them as photographers, knowledgeable, just great photographers. You know, it's it's in their DNA. They're 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 terrific. They're both what they turn out is just amazing. Yeah. Well, yeah. So for people that aren't familiar with you, I mean, you just sort of gotten into it already, but I would love for you to tell us a little bit more about who Betty Wiley is. All right. Well. I've been photographing since I was a little girl. I kind of come by it naturally, you might say. My uncle was a photographer, a professional photographer, although he didn't do it full time. I remember, you know, I grew up out west. We would often take vacations and my uncle, and of course my mom would be there, but my uncle was always photographing. He had calendars and cards. And um, my mother was, I guess you would call more of a hobby photographer, but we used to go on trips and I'd be in the car, in the backseat of the car. And I remember always looking out the window, you know, at the landscape, you know, again, this is out west. I'm talking, going through Utah and Wyoming and Montana, all these beautiful places and looking out the window and kind of seeing it as a scene I might see through a camera lens, if that makes any sense. It does. So I actually even thought about um, doing photography professionally, you know, going to a photography school like Brooks out in California. It was was open at the time. A lot of people went there. Either that or commercial artist because I've always painted and always had this artistic interest. And my mother, in her wisdom, wanted me to have quote unquote, a real job. 
and wanted me to, you know, go out and prosper and have a real career, she put it. So um, I majored in science in school. I have a biology undergrad degree and a biology master's degree. And for the last, well, up until I retired in 2007, I worked in the pharmaceutical and biotech industry. Uh -huh. So, yeah, yeah. So, you know, my job was such that I just didn't have a lot of spare time. You know, it's a demanding work environment. So as soon as I retired, actually, really, maybe the year or so before that, I mean, I always photographed, but it was always kind of like in the corners of my life. So as soon as I retired, I jumped headfirst back into photography. And I, I can honestly say right now, I'm almost doing it full time. Living on the Cape like I do, I work for a lot of the magazines down here on the Cape. In fact, this happens to be, be, be a busy time for me on the Cape because I photograph almost all the gardens down here for, you know, for, for the magazines. I don't mean all the gardens, but I photograph for almost all the magazines, gardens, and other kind of lifestyle features. And so when I'm not doing photography assignments, I'll be out with Michael or whoever, you know, out photographing and I sell my work on my website. And my husband actually is my sales agent <laughs> in a way. Um, he works in what's referred to as the artist shanties in Hyannis. Mm. So that's what he does in the summer months, off and on during some of the weeks and in, um, in the summer and on weekends. Nice. That's, so yeah, that's so yeah. That's awesome. So I used that's awesome to have the built-in salesperson. <laughs> I know, isn't it though? <laughs> it's really not my wheelhouse, so it's good that somebody in the family can do it and do it with a smile on their face. Right. Yeah. So I used to be a, a huge nature photographer, um, you know, birds and wildlife. I mean, I just you know, I was passionate. But it got to the point where the gear was just getting heavy for me to manage. And so now these days I do mostly mostly landscapes plus the work I do for the magazines. Gotcha, okay. And I also taught for a lot, quite a long time. I used to teach at the Cape Cod Art Center. I used to lead photography workshops and teach editing, Lightroom and Photoshop and, you know, other plugins. So, yeah. So what's your what's your secret for being so tapped into the local community that you're kept that busy? Oh, well, you know, I kind of got a lucky break. I think, you know, we bought our house in 2006 um, here on Cape Cod. We used to live in central Massachusetts. It's a beautiful area in its own right. But back in 2006, photography, it's, it wasn't as saturated as it is today. So back in 2006, I actually ended up reaching out to a magazine that I had picked up in the newsstand. And I just reached out just to see if there would be any interest. And sure enough, there was. Now, I don't think it would happen quite the same way today because there's so many photographers out there. But back in 2006, you know, there weren't. And so I was just lucky. And so over the years, they just became, I guess, very comfortable working with me and my, you know, appreciated my work ethic. And uh, it's been a great relationship that I've had with, you know, the magazines down here. And I have photographed one time all of them with the exception of maybe one that I can think of. But I currently um, shoot for Chatham Living Magazine. It's a beautiful magazine. Um, it's published in Chatham, of course. Um, and then uh, Falmouth Living Magazine, South, South Cape. I could go on and on. Such interesting people here on the Cape as well. So I've been really fortunate. I think it's a little bit harder to, to break into that now. Back then in 2006, before digital photography became so huge, 
um, you know, I, I, I was able to create a niche for myself. Yeah, the, there's really only one magazine like that where I live. And the way that works is they have a list of photographers that they send an email to once a year. They say, hey, <laughs> here's the things we're going to be covering over the next 12 mm -hmm. months. Upload your files to this Dropbox folder. And if we use your photos, we'll pay you. And that's it. <laughs> and yeah, I've yeah. gotten pretty lucky. I've gotten, I don't know, maybe the last four issues. They've used two or three images per issue. Oh, wow. That's great. Yeah, it's nice. Great. I mean, that's great. I mean, it's a certain sense of satisfaction and I guess validation when somebody wants to publish your images. You know, that's the other thing. And then to get paid for them. Right. You know, yeah. Pretty well, awesome. Yeah. Thankfully, there's still publications that will pay for good photography. Yeah, I mean, it's getting to be less so these days because, you know, everybody has a camera and sometimes people, especially here on the Cape, sometimes people just want to see their name in print. Just credit is fine. I but, know. Um, yeah, yeah. Stop doing yeah. that, people. I know. I tell people that all the time. I tell clients and so on. Don't do that because it hurts those who are actually making a living with their photography. It's a bad precedent it to is. set. All right. Well, Betty, um, what keeps you rooted in the Cape Cod area? I mean, obviously, you've talked a little bit about the connections you've made there, but what is there for a photographer? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> you know, I when we first moved here in 2006, you know, I would drive around, you know, familiarizing myself, you know, with the area. And I was I had to actually pinch myself that I live in a place where the I mean, there, there are all these workshops that come to the Cape and for good reason, you know, so many workshops now, but for good reason, there's so much here to photograph and there's something, they always say there's something about the Cape Cod light. And I sort of get it uh, being surrounded, I think on three sides by water, you know, I, I think helps generate some weather and atmosphere. And, um, you know, we have, of course, lighthouses galore and everybody loves lighthouses let's face it almost everybody loves lighthouses I was gonna so say, have... almost everybody real quick i have a quick fast story that'll make you laugh really hard because um, <laughs> i just did a workshop in newfoundland which has some great lighthouses as well and uh, one of our clients was there just to photograph birds and and i had such a good laugh because uh we were we we rolled up to this this lighthouse and it was like really foggy and mysterious looking oh, and, just know, the kind of stuff we like you know like for most of us we're like oh this is gonna be really nice and he was like well, what is this i'm supposed to photograph a lighthouse in fog and i just i laughed so hard because oh like, my word like, let's see i would gravitate <laughs> to that <laughs> yeah but you know it's like to your, it's you not know, for well, everyone you know, we all like different things and you know it's, yeah. i guess it's a good thing we do you know yeah 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 so i'm sorry i, did, I just that made oh no 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 i think it's a great story but you know we get atmosphere you know and i always say so many things can go into a successful image one of them is, of course, beautiful light. And, you know, I love chasing light just as much as the next person. But I love to go out when there's bad weather. I really do. I've captured some of my best images right before or after a storm. And even sometimes in a storm, yeah. I've captured just, you know, it, it tells a story. It can make an, an image very compelling, you know, when you're capturing that moment before you get a shelf cloud, you know, that's about to descend overhead where you're shooting from. So I love weather, but getting back to the question about Cape Cod, we have, of course, seascapes because we're surrounded on three sides by water and the lighthouses, which I've already mentioned, but beautiful beaches, I mean, sand dunes. I mean, there's just so much here. Do we have a rocky coastline? 
No. Do we have waterfalls? No. Do we have a lot of rivers? No, but we have our beautiful tidal marshes that are just beautiful, mm. uh, especially, well, in the summer, of course, they're really beautiful and lush and green. But in the fall, the autumn color in the marshes is just, oh, it's just magnificent. It really is. It's almost like somebody lit a match to the marsh when the sun is going down. It's just kind of sweeping across those marsh grasses. There's just so much here, you know. Yeah. So much interest here. And then, of course, sometimes we get these like big nor'easters, which make for great shooting because we get these big waves. So lots to shoot. Do we have everything? No, but there's no place that does. But there's a lot here. And I just every time I go out, I'm just like, I still can't believe I live here. I'm going to challenge you on that, though. There is one place on Earth that I think has a little <laughs> bit of everything, but none of it's the best. And that would be Oregon. Oh, I know. I, I was a child the last time I was really, really spending any time in Oregon. And, you know, I always thought if I didn't live on the Cape, well, two places I might live, and one would be in Maine. I absolutely love Maine and the Rocky Coastline. And probably because it's so different from here with our beaches, we don't have that Rocky Coastline. Right. And they have the lighthouses and everything else. But the other place, and I haven't really spent really any time photographing it, is the Pacific Northwest, like Oregon and Washington. Yeah. Well, yeah, when I think of Cape Cod, I don't necessarily think of a magical photography destination, but I think you've got me convinced that it's worth visiting. <laughs> it really is. I mean, hence, you know, there are so many workshops. You know, when I first, I, we first moved to the Cape, yeah, I would go out and there wouldn't be a soul here. You know, I'd be the only one. And now in the summer months, it's hard to go to a location where there's not a few couple workshops mm. going on, you know. Yeah. That must be... Yeah kind of painful a little bit <laughs> well you know it can be of course you know because you know we all like shooting you know and we don't have a crowd of photographers around but you know when you live here you know i can always find those spots where not a lot of people are you know i know this area so well that you know if i go someplace and i see you know several workshop groups or whatever i just you know if i I don't want to deal with that. I'll just go someplace else. It's not a big deal. You know, I just manage, you know, I work around it. Yeah. You know, and the good thing and is. And I see why people come, you know, I mean, it is so beautiful here. We don't always have the best weather. Um, you know, it takes a little bit longer to warm up in the spring where the inland areas are, are quite a bit warmer, you know, 10, 15 degrees. But it, our falls are amazing here, amazing. So we're, we stay we stay warm a bit longer than areas inland. Um, I was gonna so. I was gonna say the the good thing is is that typically most workshops aren't gonna focus on some of the more kind of intimate scenes that require a little bit more of a refined familiarity with location. You know, like I was looking at some of your work on your website where you've got you know, like these really pastoral, simple kind of scenes of the countryside. And, you know, they're not necessarily <laughs> iconic locations. I mean, I'm sure you can find a dozen of so are those within a hundred mile radius or even closer, I'm, I'm guessing. I mean, absolutely. You know, that's where the advantage of living some somewhere though, you know, like I'll have people come to the Cape, you know, where's the best place to go? And, you know, I'll tell them, you know, where I would probably go given whatever the weather is doing at the time. But that's one of the benefits of living in an area like this. Is I, and I think this is true just in a general sense. When you live in an area, not only do you go once or twice 
to the same location, I can go as many times as I want to really nail, you know, that perfect shot that I have in my mind's eye with gorgeous light and a gorgeous sky. I can keep going back to get that. You know, but when somebody's on vacation, sometimes people leave really discouraged, like, oh, you know, I wanted to get a great sunset or sunrise, and, you know, I only had a little bit of time. You know, you either have to be, you have to be exceedingly lucky to go someplace for three or four days and expect to come back with a hard drive, you know, full of great images. It just doesn't happen that way. The advantage is when you live a place and you're, you can be patient and wait for that, those perfect conditions. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, and that's true with Ben on, on, on up in Maine, Ben Williamson. He lives in mid-coast Maine. So he has the, the you know, the ideal situation where he can go out on the coast of Maine multiple times to get that gorgeous sunrise at that perfect spot. You know, so I think sometimes people have unrealistic expectations when they go on a vacation or they come to the Cape for a couple of days. You know, they look at images and say, oh, I want to get that. But it's really hard. You have to really work at it. You know, good images just don't happen, you know? Yeah, I completely agree. And I think that there is a antidote to that particular dilemma, which is to say that I think if you spend the time to practice a lot as a photographer and don't focus on location-based photography and mm -hmm. focus more on entering the landscape as a receiver of what nature has to offer you and then being open to finding whatever it is that interests you and then you know really putting on that creative cap and trying to make sense of it through the lens and not I so agree with that yeah I so agree with that Matt you have to kind of play your own game you know You've got to do kind of what, what you like to do. Don't let anybody tell you you should do it this way or that way. Like, oh, you've got to shoot sunrises and sunsets. Not necessarily. You have to go out and get what, what you like, what drives you. Yep. I agree with that. And focus, instead of on the end result, focus on the process and, you know, improving your skills over time. I think, you know, as photographers, I mean, we're always improving on what we already know. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so I noticed um, a lot of your photography includes man-made objects as well as people in the natural environment. And I would like if you could tell us a little bit about the importance of each to your photographic process. So, you know, I used to shun having people in my images, you <laughs> yeah, know, yeah. I really did. I was like, oh, there's a person there. I'm going to go someplace yeah, else. Get and rid shoot. of them. Get rid of them. Yeah. yeah, get rid of them. You know, well, as far as, you know, man-made structure, I'll, I'll talk about that first and I'll talk about the issue of people. You know, we have a lot of structures here on the Cape, you know, with the lighthouses. I mean, you know, perfect example that we, of that. We have beautiful boardwalks. There's so many beautiful places to shoot that do have a structure and it's hard not to include them. And you can do so much with these man-made structures to kind of help tell that story. People, on the other hand, like I used to shun you know, having people in any of my shots. And I think I started getting away from that by photo, when, you know, by photographing for the um, many of the magazines down here, you know, they the the type of shots that they like are those those shots that have people, 
Right. You know, they're, they're, you know, they want to promote, you know, they want to sell advertising, they want to promote tourism. So when, you know, they give me assignment, oftentimes we'd like to have people. We want people. Not necessarily like a crowd full of people, but they like to have people out, you know, enjoying what the Cape has to offer. So I kind of got over my not wanting people, you know, in my shots. There are times I do, of course, and there are times I don't. And also with the magazine, one of the other things that they like, interestingly, is they often like those blue skies with white puffy clouds. You know, right. I used to never want to shoot in those conditions, but there are times I do. You know, there, there are certain times that, you know, yeah, it does work. You know, maybe not those bright bluebird skies, you know, when the sun is directly overhead and it's really bright and contrasty, but you can still have a pleasing scene, you know, with, with, with you know, in the middle of the day, so to speak. Yeah, this actually leads me to another line of questioning for you. As you were talking, I was thinking about an experience that I just had in Newfoundland where I took a photograph of a building that was in a reflection in a, in a kind of a harbor. And I liked it a lot, but it's not a subject that I would normally find myself gravitating towards. However, I, you know, I was like, oh, this has potential for like a magazine cover, you know, something like that, because there was no, there was no clouds, a very, it was a very clean uh, scene with lots of negative space and things like that. And so I'm curious for you, when you're not on specific assignment, are you kind of tapped into, you know, okay, ooh, maybe this will go do well for this magazine or maybe this type of Oh, image? I absolutely am. Mm -hmm. I absolutely am. You know, if you know, if, if it's you know, I might look outside and it might, you know, might be some filtered light. It's in the summer. You know, I might go over to a look at a certain location and say, you know, I think the magazine might like this. So there might be an event here on the Cape um, that I think the magazine might be able to use. You know, so sometimes I do go out with that in mind. You know, would it be something I put on my website? No, I probably wouldn't. You know, I'm, my website is mostly about, you know, landscapes and seascapes and all of that. But, you know, absolutely, I, I'm always thinking about the possibility of getting a cover. You know, we all like to have a, our, one of our, our, an image of ours, you know, on the cover, on the covers of magazine. So sometimes I do think about, you know, like, oh, they like a blue sky with white puffy clouds. So I might be somewhere and I see people getting in colorful kayaks and they're going to do, a, you know, go on a kayak trip on the marsh. I might photograph that because I know those are the types of images that the magazine often looks for. And I've been working with them for so long. So I'm usually one of their, their, their first, you know, they'll often reach out to me first. Oh, do you have uh, an image, maybe, you know, a bike parked on a uh, beach path, you know, up against a beach fence, you know, at one of the beaches on the Cape. But all I have to do is type in my keywords, you know, using Lightroom and presto, right. you know, I can turn it around very quickly for them, which has been an advantage for me over time because I can turn things around for them so quickly, you know, it makes them, you know, reach out to me even more than maybe somebody that, that doesn't know how to get their hands on a certain image quickly. Right. And, you know, I can thank Lightroom for that and the ability to use keywords. Yeah, absolutely. So I have a mm. kind of a follow-up to that, trying to get a little bit deeper into <laughs> the inner workings of Betty Wiley here. Oh. <laughs> so, so I know you said you originally um, were more interested in wildlife and nature specifically, and 
you know, now that you're kind of tapped into the, this magazine culture and things of that nature, I'm, I'm going to guess a little bit that it wasn't always a, something you were naturally drawn to, but over time you started to see the potential of certain scenes. So I'm curious, and I'm struggling to find a way to ask this question, but like when you're out on a location and you know that it's not necessarily something that is going to be exciting for your personal work, like something for your mm-hmm. website, uh, how does that change kind of your attitude or your excitement level or your approach to kind of, you know, approaching that particular scene? Well, you know, I've worked with the magazines for so long down here, like I was saying before, I generally have an idea of kind of the kind of things that they like. You know, they're not as drawn to sunrises and sunsets and storms and, you know, all this beautiful light like I am. So, you know, there'll be times where I'm going out shooting and I'm shooting just for myself and for my website. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm doing what I really love. And I love landscapes as much as I love wildlife. It's just much easier for me now to really focus on landscapes. And, you know, it's something that the magazines are, are more interested in than, say, a shot of a... I don't know, great gray owl or whatever, you know. Um, But there are also times when I'm out and I'll see a scene. And again, I wouldn't put it on my website, but I think down the road that one of the magazines may ask me for something. So it kind of goes, it goes in my files. I keyword it. So if by chance they reach out to me and say, like I was using an example before of a, a pike on a beach path, you know, I can quickly grab it and turn it around for them. You know, so I have kind of like this library of, well, two libraries, really. My stuff, you know, the stuff that I really like to shoot and the kind of the stuff that I think would be have an appeal, you know, for the different magazines that I've worked with. Yeah, that makes sense. And then are you, mm-hmm. do you have the same level of enthusiasm for creating those types of images? Um, probably not. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> probably not. I mean, I enjoy shooting. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm a photographer. You know, I'm, sure. I'm, I like to be out shooting. Would I rather photograph a gorgeous sun, sunrise or a sunset? Absolutely. Right. But I enjoy the process of photography. At the end of the day, I enjoy being out with my camera. 100%. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like taking yeah. this example I gave you about this building and the reflection in Newfoundland that I photographed, not something I'd normally photograph, but for me it was like, I saw the potential and I was like, okay, I want to mm-hmm. unlock this puzzle real quick. You know, what, you know, how do I want to shoot this scene so that I can maximize its usefulness? And once I mm-hmm. nailed the shot, I'm like pretty happy about that. So, you know, it mm-hmm. was enjoyable. It wasn't necessarily as enjoyable as, say, discovering some really unique, interesting scene, but it was still fun. Yeah, it is. It is. You know, and again, you know, I, you know, you know, bright, harsh midday sun. Yeah, you know, I don't love it, but <laughs> yeah. I like. You know, I don't. You know, I just. You know, I'm. I'm being totally on it. Would I go out and seek scenes like that? No, not necessarily. I would seek them if I'm out, and I always have my camera with me. I mean, always. My my camera and gear is always with me. Mm. So if I see something interesting that I think the magazine would like, like I said before, you know, I'll photograph it. Sure. You know, I will. And there are, you know, I've seen times here on the Cape where people have, you know, turned images that, you know, it's it's bright and contrasty in the middle of the day. 
but they've put on a neutral density filter and done some intentional camera movement. I think if you're pa you know passionate about photography, you can almost always find something to photograph. Yeah, I agree. You know, is it kind of like your talk, you know, your is it what you love to shoot the most? No, it's not always. But I think when you love photography as much as we do, we're always happiest when we're out shooting, right? You know, yeah, right? Absolutely. Outdoors and out shooting. And uh, maybe the subject isn't my number one choice, but I enjoy the process. I really have to say I do. Yeah. Well, along those same lines, on your website, you have a favorites gallery, which I, I love it when photographers include a favorites gallery because it's kind of a it's kind of a little window into their soul in terms of what makes them tick or what gets them really excited when they're using the camera. And I noticed that about half of the images that are in your favorite gallery. <laughs> I, knew yeah, are, I knew you were going to say that. They're, lighthouses. Yeah, lighthouses. So like, what draws you to lighthouses? <laughs> I think for several reasons. One, I think they're very picturesque. Not everybody may agree, but I think they always make for make an interesting subject. You know, I'm always looking, you know, for something that can that is a good subject you know whether it's a beautiful boardwalk stretching over a marsh which i live very close by by the way and i go there often but i'm always looking for something that's an interesting subject i find it less interesting to photograph a sunrise when there's no foreground or in or subject i would be much more drawn to photographing a, a sunrise having something a subject in the scene like a lighthouse or a fence or a boardwalk mm. you know just shooting you know a beautiful sky when there's no foreground isn't compelling to me sure and you know that's also something that you know when i've been asked like what are magazines looking for well you know working with a magazine you know of course they like space to where, be able to put the you know the the header the name of the magazine but they also look for an image that has depth you know a foreground, midground, and a background. Background being the sky. So lighthouses are so unique. Well, not unique to New England, but it's such a part of our New England lands landscape or coastal scape, if you will. Mm -hmm. That I've just always loved lighthouses. And sadly, I think a lot of our lighthouses are going away. You know, a number here on the Cape have been decommissioned. You know, they've turned. In fact, there are places where you can actually the lighthouses that you can actually buy if you're so inclined. <laughs> One of my favorite lighthouses here on the Cape is, you know, been decommissioned, is in the hands of a, you know, nonprofit. And they conduct tours and raise money and, you know, it's a beautiful lighthouse. But sadly, with, you know, global positioning system, GPS, you know, I think lighthouses no longer um, have the usefulness that they did back, say, in the late 1800s. But so I think there's fascinating history with them as well. Yeah, so. I was going to say they, they definitely help to tell kind of a story of place and history of place. And mm -hmm. um, that was one of the things I really enjoyed about being in Newfoundland was there's some lighthouses there that are like the oldest lighthouses in North America, I guess, apparently, um, according to the people that gave the tour guides. But, you know, wow. it was really wow, interesting. That's and they would, um, it was cool. They had uh, this one lighthouse I visited. Um, they actually still had the intact original mechanism that they had to use. So every two hours, somebody had to re-crank this line and it was attached to these weights that would slowly turn these gears um, at the very top of the lighthouse. And that's what kept the lights turning. So every two hours, someone had to do that. So they would take turns wow. every day, all day long. Wow. <laughs> 
Wow, that's so interesting. You know, they so many of the lighthouses have become automated, and they replace you know the lights with these you know, like really bright LED lights that don't really photograph as well. Especially if you're doing Milky Way photography, you know, one of these lighthouses. But so many of them have such an interesting history. We have one here on the Cape that's the oldest on the Cape. And I'm trying to remember the year that it was built. I think it was, it's the oldest lighthouse on the Cape. I, I don't know if it's the low, oldest lighthouse in you know North America, but um, I think it was first erected in the late 1700s, like 1797 and wow. you know, yeah, yeah. Yeah, in fact, they just restored it a couple of years ago, so now it looks beautiful again. Yeah, and then, you know, the other cool thing about lighthouses, mm -hmm. photographically speaking, is the different lenses that they have and the, mm -hmm. the light and how those different lenses can create different light effects. You know, like, um, yeah. I don't remember the name of the lighthouse there in New England, but it has a certain type of lens that lends itself really well to creating those... Um, you know those lines that come out if you're shooting it at night that make for a okay. really interesting effect with the Milky Way and whatnot. Yeah, there's a lighthouse that you know we that, that kind of like that pinwheel effect. Right. I think that's what you're yes, referring yes, to. Yes, yes, yes. And there's a lighthouse that lends itself so well to that, and that's Nosset Lighthouse. It, it actually has an alternating red and white beam, and um, yeah, and it's it's an ideal lighthouse to capture that effect. Sometimes the you know the LED lights get so bright, so bright it doesn't really work. But those old style Fresnel lenses, those lighthouses are really fun to photograph, and you get that really unique. If you, you know, depending upon your shutter speed, of course, that really unique pinwheel effect. Yeah, I've done one, that a number of times. Yeah, one of my favorite photographs that I took when I went to Iceland was of a lighthouse, and it was that pinwheel effect but then i had the aurora over it and it was oh my word <laughs> it was oh, really that cool be, yeah oh, that, would, that would be great oh my gosh that would be so great yeah. i actually we were supposed to have an aurora um here last night although i didn't think it would extend as far as the cape you know they were saying massachusetts but i think it was more like up towards boston right. we're about an hour and a half two hours you know south of boston but certainly like vermont new hampshire you know maine those northern areas they were saying that it was it was good likelihood of seeing an aurora i'd love to capture something like that yeah i mean you know combining mm -hmm. a lighthouse with the aurora is mm -hmm. a lot more interesting oh, that, than that would be killer just the yep. aurora you know mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah just the aurora itself i saw an aurora for the first time this past winter um i went to norway and on my bucket list, I'd never seen the aurora. And it was just, we have one night with a good aurora and it was just amazing. Oh, it's yeah. super cool. Yeah, going back to, going to Iceland next year. And I just oh, I hope we have a lot of aurora activity. It's supposed to peak next year. So next year should be a good year yeah. for, to photograph the aurora. aurora. All right, well, let's um, shift gears because it sounds like you could probably talk about lighthouses for six hours. So. <laughs> probably. <laughs> Certainly, um, I could photography as far as that goes, but yeah. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about editing or what, you know, some people like to say processing. What, what are some ways, in your opinion, that editing can make or break a photograph? You know, I really feel it's such an important part of the process. I think edit, skillful editing, and that's something I always tell people when they ask me, 
learn to use the software because I think taking the photograph itself, you know, digital or film, you know, it's really only half the process. I think editing is at least as important as is having a good composition and having the right exposure. I just think editing can do so much. And I think, you know, pardon the, pardon the term, but I think, you know, kind of, it can kind of sometimes separate the men from the boys or the girls from the ladies or whatever. Um, because I think good editing can really make or break a photo. I've seen so many instances where I'm on Instagram and I see so many instances where somebody has taken an image, it's a nice composition and they've just ruined it, you know, by oversaturating the colors, over sharpening. And I think, you know, I'm, I see more and more of that, you know, and sadly on, I think on social media, I think those kind of images sometimes get a lot more like likes or you know thumbs up or whatever but it, it's in a in a sense it's really a shame because i think that you know it's just kind of like it's a runaway freight train you know people jump on that bandwagon because they see other people who have this like insanely oversaturated image and they get a lot of likes and so i think people strive to kind of replicate you know those images and they're cranking up the color and over sharpening and over processing their images as well. Mm -hmm. And I think it's something that we, we need to get away from. Um, I'm guilty of it as well. There have been times, in fact, I have a rule that, you know, before I post an image, you know, I'll edit an image and I'll spend a lot of time editing, trying this and trying that. Kind of like the artistic side of me kind of starts to come out a little bit. But then, you know, I make it a rule not to post that same day. Yeah, and there have yeah. been times where I've gone back that next morning or a couple of days after that, and I'm thinking, oh, my God, what was I thinking? Right. But draw, you know, back to, you know, referencing the, ma the magazines. I've had so many discussions, you know, with the graphic designer and, you know, the publishers. And, you know, they won't even entertain images like that. You know, they're, you know, so often, you know. You know, they'll, they'll reference, you know, an image like, oh, we really liked it, except the edit was terrible. You know, it's way oversaturated. So for those people that are wanting to get magazine work and whatever, one, know the audience, don't know the magazine. There's some outdoor magazines that, yeah, they might, you know, like those more colorful images with good sunrises and sunsets, whatever. But some magazines, as a general, they're going to look at the editing as much as they're going to look at the photograph. Uh -huh. Who needs a magazine cover when you have a thousand likes on Instagram? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> I'm just kidding, by the way. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. No, but, you know, it's. I just think editing is so important. I think people, it behooves people to learn the software. Because there are so many times when I'm out and I'm shooting something, I know exactly, you know, I've used software. I've been using Photoshop since, like, 19... 96, 97, you know, so I know what software will do. And I'll look at an image and I can kind of get my head around it and think, I know exactly how I'm going to edit that image. I'm going to do this, this, and this. Yep. I might look at another image and say, oh, I'm going to do that to this image. I know the potential of software to really bring out the, the light or the color or whatever. I pride myself in being pretty knowledgeable about editing. And I think it behooves people to learn how to edit their images well. I agree. And it well, and like you were saying, I, I'm guilty of that too. I mean, geez, pretty much all my photography from like 2012 through 2016 was pretty bad. So I 
you know, it's, I think we've all done that. Yeah, it's you know? part of the process, honestly. But I, I find it fascinating how big the gap is between, um, you know, someone who's been doing photography for 5, 10, 15 years, their ability to, you know, tease out or look at an image and say, ooh, I think that's been processed a little bit too much versus the, you know, the general consumer on Instagram, they're just hit, they're mashing Mm -hmm. the like button. It's, I don't totally understand what the, what explains that gap. Do you have any feelings about that? No, I really don't. I'm just, you know, I I just see so many images and, you know, I, I, I have to say, you know, I've, I've, I've been as guilty as the next person, you know, with editing that, editing an image and I go back and I think, oh my God, I posted that. What was I thinking? (laughs) You know, I think we all do that. Yeah, Yeah. But I think that, we know we do it and so that allows us to kind of make ourselves step back and leave it alone for a day or two and then come back to it with a more critical eye because you know as you're editing your image you're falling in love with it you're like oh my god the light was beautiful and you know gosh it was an insane sky that sky just lit up and yada yada and so as you're editing you become more and more in love with that image so the more time you spend on it, you know, you're cranking up the saturation or whatever, and then you go back to it and you think, oh, my God, <laughs> thank God I didn't post that one. Or alternatively, oh, my God, I posted that. And what was I thinking? Let me quickly delete that image, you know, from my feed. Yeah. You know? yeah. But I think that, you know, it's a wise photographer who knows, like, you know, when to set limits on themselves and knows how to, you know, step back and be a critic of their own work. I think that's just as important as, you know, understanding your camera and knowing how to edit, but you also have to be able to be your own critic sometimes. Yeah, and I think you kind of have to reach a level of maturity where you're okay receiving feedback that isn't Mm -hmm. validating. You know, that is so true, Matt. You know, I worked in, you know, a pharmaceutical and biotech industry and you know everything we did was you know reviewed by peers you know i mean that's the way the process worked and if you had a thin skin forget it and but there's so many people out there that they'll ask you for their for your opinion and when you give them an honest opinion like you would in an academic or you know techie type you know setting that oftentimes it's the general photography group you know somebody will ask you like you know what do you think and if you're honest, they don't want that. They don't want that critical feedback. They want you to tell them how great it is. And they get up. And it's a, it's a shame because I think we, we all should accept feedback, good and bad, to become better photographers and better editors. Yeah, it's, and it's especially challenging on social media. You know, it's like I'll see someone who like i've met them in person and i generally like them as a person and i think like they're a good photographer but then they'll post an image that you know it's just edited really badly and you can just like they use the grad filter and you can see the lines of the grad filter through the like over sharpening or whatever it is and, and you know it's like part of part of you wants to be like hey you know have you, you don't <laughs> do you not see no. this like come on man I know, you know, that brings to mind a point that, you know, I think sometimes people are guilty of 
they've been it's been drilled into their heads in social media that you have to engage your audience you've got to post post and produce content yeah where i think to a large extent you're kind of known by your worst image you know because you can have all these great images really nice images and you post a bad one guess what people are going to remember they're going to remember that bad one mm. you know i think it's important not to concentrate on just posting in quantity but post your better stuff you know, don't feel like you have to post every day if you don't have something that, you know, you feel is worthy of posting that don't post. Yeah, I agree. You know? Yeah. I've, yeah. And I'm guilty of that I, I went through a phase maybe, I don't know, two or three years ago where I was like, oh, I'm going to post every day. And and then I was forcing, I was posting stuff that wasn't that good. And I'm like, oh, that was not a, that was probably not the best idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, you know, and I've gone back and I've, you know, I, my Instagram feed and times I've looked at it, I was like, why did I post yeah, that? Delete. So I delete it. I delete it, you know. <laughs> but I try and be much more um, selective these days, you know, in terms of what I'm posting. I just don't feel a need to post. I might go a week, even longer, you know, not posting. If I don't have anything to post, I'm not going to post just for the sake of posting, you know. Yeah. Well, then you have the, the other end of the extreme. There's this photographer that I've met before that used to live in the same city I used to live in and he somehow amassed this huge following on Facebook like 200,000 people or whatever and he would post an image and then like photographers would give him valid critique of the image and then all of these people that follow him they would come to his defense and and like talk badly about you as a person and it's like no I'm just trying to point out things that I'm noticing about this image. I'm not trying to say they're a bad person or a bad mm -hmm. photographer or whatever. And it's hard because, you know, it's like it if, you hard. Love, if you love photography, um, sometimes it's hard to restrain yourself to not want to say, hey, like, I noticed yeah. something here. <laughs> <laughs> I know, you know, and, you know, at the end of the day, I think that it is subjective to a large extent. You know, I mean, you look at camera club competitions and, you know, they can be good or they can be bad. If, you know, the judging is good, then they can be really valuable for people. But likewise, you know, the judging may not always be, you know, spot on. You know, it is subjective and people need to remember that because I see, you know, on the flip side, you know, I will see people um, enter images into a competition. They get really discouraged. It hasn't gotten it has a one has no place first or second or third and they have to remember that it's subjective and that's just kind of the way it is what i might like in an image might be totally different than what somebody else likes in an image so true you know and you know it kind of gets back to what we were saying before matt is that you've got to kind of play your own game and if you like it at the end of the day if you like it and you're happy with it at the end of the day, that's really what counts. If it makes you happy, then by all means, go for it. But I think to improve, you know, with your photography, I do think that people need to be more open to, um, you know, feedback. Because I don't think a lot of people are, you know. I really don't, like I was saying before, where, you know, somebody might ask for your opinion, like, what do you think of this image? And you might say, oh, I really like it, except, you know, maybe the horizon isn't quite straight. And, you know, right. I mean, I you guess... know, right then, you know, they shut down. And either it's because maybe they've worked in an environment where that's not, you know, 
you know, subjective review, you know, it's not uh, objective review. I mean, you know, isn't part of like, you know, the daily routine. But I think to grow as a photographer, you need to be able to accept that feedback. You have to always do what you like, but you also need to welcome feedback. If you ask somebody for their opinion, you've got to be open to what they might say. You may not agree with them and maybe whatever, you know, whatever they had to say isn't valid. But I still think it's it's a worthwhile endeavor to seek feedback whenever possible. You know, I do. And I think, too, it's um, I think it comes down to kind of what drives you or motivates you or what uh, kind of fuels your fire, so to speak. And I think for some people, I mean, this is going to sound harsh, but I think for some people, they would much rather have 200,000 people telling them that their photograph is amazing than having 50 very experienced photographers tell them that they really like their photography, you know, and I think they're two very different audiences. And that's kind of what I was trying to say, say, you know, you said it more succinctly than I did, but yes, I fully agree. Yeah. You know, everybody wants those likes, you know, it's that dopamine release, you know, it, um, people like to get those the thousand or 2000 likes or whatever. Yeah. Well, that, yeah, for the great. most part, those days are gone for most people <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> with the algorithms, the way they are. Yeah. But, yeah. 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 All right. Well, let's talk about planning. I would love for you to tell us a little bit about the importance of planning in your particular approach to photography. So here on the Cape, you know, I have so many things, variables that kind of go into the planning process. So many places where I photograph here on the Cape are title dependent. Mm. Um, <laughs> yeah, so you know, I have not only the, the weather, you know, to be thinking about, I also have to be mindful of the tides. And by that, I mean, some places are at their best when photographed at high tide. Yep. Some places are at their best and really shine at low tide. Yes. Some places actually look best maybe even at mid-tide, you know, not necessarily low, low tide, but not necessarily high, high tide, but kind of a mid-tide. So one of the things I almost always consult, especially if I'm photographing near water, what are the tides doing? You know, so I use, you know, there's so many apps out there. One of my apps that I use, I've used it for years. They're probably better ones, but I use aptly named Tidegraph. So I always okay, consult yeah. them, you know, if I'm going out, you know, obviously I'm looking at the weather, you know, being, you know, being surrounded by water, you know, on all sides. I, I care what, what the weather is doing in terms of like, is it really windy? If it's really windy, I'm not going to be photographing boats and getting reflections. As a matter of fact, I if I am photographing boats and I want to get reflections and I want that still calm water, I often go out when there's low tide and there's hardly any wind. And that can almost guarantee, you know, a very calm, you know, surface of the water. So I'm always looking, I'm always looking and I'm, I start planning like days and days ahead. I'm looking at Windy, which is one of my favorite apps for, you know, telling me what the cloud cover is going to be and, you know, how windy it's going to be and so on. The Tidegraph one that I already mentioned. If I'm out photographing the Milky Way like I was last night, then I might be using an app that I really like for that. I've been using it maybe probably for less than a year. I used to use PhotoPills, but now I use Planet. 
I think it's far easier to work with. Plus, you can work with it on your computer as opposed to mm. like a phone, which is it's not quite as easy to see. So, you know, for Milky Way and full moon planning and all of that, I use Planet. I use Windy to a large extent, giving me an indication of kind of like the cloud cover and wind. Tide, tide graph from my tides. And really, almost every time I go out, I'm consulting all of those things when I go out. Like last night, I photographed the Milky Way, uh, a place in Chatham, and I consulted all of them. I was looking at the weather forecast because I was worried about fog. Where I was photographing last night, it's an area that's really prone to fog. So I was looking at um, a site that I use oftentimes that tells me the dew point in relation to the temperatures to understand or determine if there's going to be any fog, and there wasn't. So planning goes into almost every shoot I do. Anytime I go out, I'm almost always looking at all those apps I mentioned, with the exception maybe of Planet. Right. Um, I also am paying attention direction of light, you know, so I'll use TP if I just want to quickly look to see, you know, what direction the sun is setting or what direction, you know, the, the moon is rising. Because some places I really like when I, I feel the sun lines up directly in the direction that I'm shooting. So there's so much planning, like I said, that goes into, you know, where I'm going to be shooting. and. But, you know, at the end of the day, sometimes you just have to go and physically scout that location. Because here on the Cape, I can't tell you the number of times where I'm like, oh, it looks like it's going to be a great sunrise on a particular morning. And, you know, I know this area. I know, usually know pretty much what's going on. And I've gone to that location. And guess what? They're dredging the harbor. <laughs> so all kinds of heavy equipment, and there's no way you could photograph it because you know there's everything is torn torn up and yeah. bulldozers. And if I it's something I'm going to be getting up early the next morning for, you can bet I'm going to scout it ahead of time because I don't want to set my alarm for three thirty or four o'clock um, to get that to that location and sacrifice sleep if there's work going on. So yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I almost feel like you can also reverse engineer uh, a plan based on all of those conditions you described. So, for example, you're like, okay, and I think this requires a familiarity with place and location. Um, oh, I do too. But yeah. you, know, you could say, okay, oh, it's going to be low tide and oh, it's not going to be windy. Oh, but there might be fog. So then, you know, you have all these ingredients. You're like, okay. So what are some locations that I'm familiar with that those conditions will work really well for? Right. I know. Exactly. Yeah. One of the conditions I really love to photograph. I love weather anyway, you know, but I love fog. I just love how atmosphere and fog can create like such a compelling image, you know, when the sun is just trying to burn through like in the fog, you know, at sunrise. Some of my best shots have, I've taken you know, when I have fog and the sun is coming up and it's trying to burn through that fog. Yes. Some of my favorite images, you know, in conditions like that. The other thing I think I, I, I failed to mention, but, you know, I was saying I love storms. If I know we're going to, especially in the summertime, you know, we get these, these thunderstorms that'll move through and they're pretty quick movers. I know a spot where I often go, if I've got a storm approaching from the west, I know a perfect place to get that, you know, incoming storm, that approaching storm, 
to get those really create, you know, dramatic cloud formations, you know. So because I live here, I kind of know the direction that the storms and the path of storms are going to take. And so I kind of know, like, I'm going to go to this spot as the storm is approaching. And then when things kind of quiet down while it's still raining, perhaps, I'll jump in my car and I'll go to another spot where I could almost get, be guaranteed of getting a rainbow at this particular spot. And then I might double back around to get an, at another spot to capture sunset because I know by then the skies are clearing. Yep. You know, so intimately, really knowing your locations really does help. Oh, it's huge. I mean, I... Uh, you talked about tides and, uh, you know, as someone who lives not at the ocean, it's just not something I'm normally familiar with thinking about. And I just mm -hmm. did a trip to northern Spain a few months ago and oh, wow. for almost all exclusively seascapes. And I just came away with it with such a greater appreciation for seascapes because, you know, we found this location that had we had great clouds. We had perfect conditions, but the tide was wrong. And then you'd look at the tide chart and you're like, oh, the tide's going to be perfect at noon. <laughs> you know, it's like, so like, <laughs> I know, you I know. You almost have to plan your whole trip based on when the tide's going to be at certain points at certain locations. And like that just mm -hmm. requires a familiarity of place. Yeah. When I used to do workshops, you know, leave workshops on, on the Cape, I would always plan those workshops around the weather and the tides. Like, you know, I have some favorite places here in the Cape that, you know, pretty well known at this point. Like, you know, Rock Harbor is famous for its what they call the clam trees. And it's perfect at low tide in the summer, you know, especially if it's not windy and you have a great sunset. It's such a compelling scene, but you need low tide yeah. and you don't want a lot of wind. And you can walk out onto the flats. And again, if you have a great sky, you know, it's it can't be beat. Right. You know, right. So, but that's a low tide location. And, you know, so if I was going to, sh and it's only sunset, it doesn't really work all that well at, at sunrise. It's okay at sunrise, but the better shot is sunset. And, you know, it's, there's so much planning that goes into landscape photography. I think anybody who's a landscape photographer would agree on that. You, For you sure. Underestimate. For sure. I will say, though, that, um, Getting it completely wrong is actually not a bad exercise to go through because it will make you a much better photographer in terms of learning to see. For example, um, I was talking about being on the coast and, you know, we we wanted high tide for this particular scene and we wanted it to be kind of moody skies because there's these... Um, these rock formations that come out of the ocean and you want this dramatic scene. Of course, when we went, it was low tide. So all those rock formations were not submerged by water. Um, but <laughs> what was kind of but. fun about that is we could actually go out onto them and explore them and get really weird, interesting compositions from literally oh, right so on top well. of the rocks. So, you know, mm -hmm. it's like you learn to improvise. I think you're right. I yeah, I think that's a really good point, Matt. You know, having less than ideal, you know, conditions sometimes forces you to kind of, you know, look at other angles that you may not have considered before or doing something else that's kind of maybe outside your comfort zone. Um, I think you're absolutely right on that. You know, I go to the same location. I keep thinking over and over and over and over and over again. But sometimes I don't have that great sky. You know, I don't have the killer sunset. Right. But 
you know, so guess what? I might be doing long exposure, yep. you know, with, with waves, yep. you know, you know, getting nice patterns, you know, of the water. Right. Or, um, you know, like walking the beach and looking for interesting patterns in the rocks or, you know, exactly. whatever. You know, and I, you know, I think that's true. You know, sometimes we as landscape photographers often are looking, you know, straight ahead or up, but sometimes you have to look down. And that's the same thing, kind of look behind you, yeah. you know, you know, sometimes the best scene is behind you, as we've all been told, you know, over the years. But also sometimes, you know, those intimate landscapes are looking down at the ground and finding is interesting, you know, formations in the sand. Um, be just as compelling as a big landscape. Yeah. All right. Well, I wanted to ask you a couple more questions. Sure. So you talk a lot about the use of software to improve your photographs uh, having having used photoshop since 1997 which is the year i graduated high school uh, <laughs> Mr. Jowell, I, I i'd love for you to talk about finding a balance between the final edit versus mm -hmm. what you actually experienced and saw and maybe talk about does that even matter to you you know, it does to some extent. You know, I want the scene to be more or less accurately depicted as what I saw, but I will often enhance what's already there. Mm -hmm. Now, have I replaced a sky in the past? Absolutely. I think, you know, I mean, of course, I'll, I'll, I'll be the first to admit it. Yes, I have added clouds at times and I have replaced the sky. But honestly, what really kind of floats my boat is the saying goes, I would much rather capture that like in camera. You know, there's nothing like going out and getting a gorgeous sunset at a great location. I would much rather do that than, than replace an otherwise boring sky, you know, boring sky. I would much rather do that. But I'm not a photojournalist. Will I remove things that are distracting in my image? Absolutely. But I do enhance, I do like to enhance it almost in a creative sort of way. I like to enhance the colors and the light that's already there. So, yeah, I probably go off in a more artistic and creative direction than maybe others do. But, you know, it's kind of my style is kind of, you know, I get people always tell me that when they see one of my images, they recognize it immediately. I'm not quite sure what it is that they're recognizing. I just know that I'm drawn to a certain type of edit and color, um, certain type of color grading, I guess, if you will. Sure. That you know, appeals to me. So I guess maybe that's why my images are recognizable. I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, I think as landscape photographers, I, I, you know, I read an article, I don't know, it was a while back, and it was kind of, it really hit home for me. And that, and I can't even remember now who wrote it. It was like a blog. But they were saying, you know, it's kind of not so much what you, what you do with an image, but what you say about an image. And I think that's really true. I, I, I won't identify the person, but you know, I know this location really well. I know the cape really well. And he posted an image and there was a rainbow. I was out that night and there wasn't a rainbow at that location. I was out there that night. And, but it wasn't so much that he added a rainbow but it was kind of like how he described the scene, like he was moved to tears after photo, you know, like all this, he had a really crummy day. I don't know, I can't even remember the, the what, what he asked, what 
exactly what he said, but it was along the lines that he was moved to tears after seeing the rainbow. And, <laughs> just, and I just thought, and then I, read this, and then I read this blog and I thought, isn't that, that, I think that's true. You know, I mean, I have replaced this guy. I often will say that, you know, in the interest of fair disclosure, I've replaced this guy. Yeah, um, I, you know, I don't describe, you know, like every single edit I did, but you know, I don't know. You I feel like maybe you're talking about an article I wrote because I wrote an article called Lying About Landscape Photography where I talked all about, I don't care that you race, replace the sky or whatever, but like, don't lie to me that you didn't when, you know, like when you do this flowery language. It's, yeah, it, it, that's exactly it. And maybe it was you that wrote this article. <laughs> it really, it not only did it resonate with me, but it resonated with other photographer friends of mine, like Michael, for instance. We both talked about that and said, you know, it really, you know, really affected us. It really resonated with us. So it's not, I don't care. So, like you were saying, Matt, I don't care so much about what you do. It's what you say about what you do. Yeah. Like maybe you enlarge the moon a little bit, but if somebody asks you, you know, was the moon that bad? I would say, oh, I enlarged it a little bit just to make it a bit more prominent and see right. because I used a wider angle lens. Yeah. I'll, I'm a, I'm in this discord channel with a bunch of other landscape photographers and someone was talking about a similar experience that you had where he was at a location with another photographer and the conditions weren't very good or whatever they both photographed it they didn't know each other that well but they exchanged emails or something and then he got home and this other guy emailed him and he said hey i'm gonna replace this guy and i just don't want you to tell anyone that I did and so like they're intending to lie to everyone when they describe the photograph and they don't want anyone to kind of out them I just it's like you know what you're doing is wrong because you're asking someone not to tell on you I just find the whole thing so antisocial. yeah it is it really is yeah what was it also interesting I you know I'm remembering the situation I just described to you and the other thing that was the giveaway, so I was out that evening, you know, as I mentioned, but the other thing was the giveaway, he used a rainbow, you know, you can add a rainbow in Luminar. Right, you right. Know, it all looks the same. <laughs> and, it, and, it was, and I was like, oh, and that was really the giveaway, because I thought, well, maybe, there, you know, I was very close by, but I wasn't at that exact same spot. But if, if there had been a rainbow, I would have seen it. But I recognized the Luminar rainbow. Right, the no, I mean, and then there's the yeah. there's the luminar um, god rays, the sunburst. It's like it looks yeah. the same. I'm like, yeah. nice yeah. luminar sun rays you got there. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I think everybody went crazy with that one when luminar first came out. Oh yeah, and the know? same thing. Everybody was so excited to be able to add them. And, the same you thing know. too. Like people posted them up and mm -hmm. talked about how incredible it was to see. And you're like, dude, you just <laughs> you added that like. I just don't yeah. understand the why people are so compelled to take advantage mm -hmm. of the viewer that way. It's just, it's so mm -hmm. disingenuous in my mind. Yeah, I have to be careful, you know, photographing here in the Cape, you know, for the magazines, you know, because in a way you might say, well, it kind of is photojournalism and it, and it is, I wouldn't, mm -hmm. you know, for anything that I like, maybe shooting like in the midday, okay, you know, I, I this scene would be pretty much like I saw it. I might remove some distracting elements, but I wouldn't, you know, I, I wouldn't take too much liberty um, in terms of 
editing an image for the magazine because it is kind of photojournalism. I mean, well, it is. There's a certain post of doing a fine art piece that I might put on my website, and you know, I don't know. I don't know. For me, it just boils down to integrity. Like, mm -hmm. if you mm -hmm. say it is the way it was, it better be. Mm -hmm. Well, that's exactly it. I mean, you know, and if somebody asks you, I mean, I think you, you know, you have a responsibility to yourself and to, you know, people who are looking at your work to be honest about that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we could, I could beat that horse dead into the ground. And often... <laughs> yeah, I know. I think we all could. And it might have been your article because I remember reading it. It was a couple of, couple of years ago, I think, that I read it. I can throw it in it the show notes if people are curious. I've, I think 95% of the people who read it thought it made a lot of sense. And then 5% of the people sent me nasty emails or called me a, a purist or, you know, like tried to make fun of me or something. It's, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. You know, you're true to yourself. And at the end of the day, you have to kind of be, you have to be true to yourself and to your audience, I think. And if you're asked if you did something, then I think you have a responsibility to disclose it. You know, a great example here, you know, where that kind of happens that, you know, and I'm talking about Instagram, you know, there will be people that will post an image that they took maybe three or four years ago, maybe even before that, and they'll post it. And they won't say like, oh, I took this from the archives. So I've had people come up to the Cape, drive to the Cape, come here to the Cape with the express purpose of photographing a particular scene that doesn't exist anymore. That's unfortunate, you know, so, you know, if it is an image that, you know, we took four or five years ago, I, I think that in all fairness, you, you know, that sh that information should be disclosed as well. Cause yeah, I don't you know. everybody loves, it. I don't yeah. know. If, I mean, I, I, I guess, I don't know. I'll, I'll, pl I'll play devil's advocate because mm. I think people need to get better at distrusting photography like mm -hmm. to be honest with you i don't believe almost any photography i look at anymore unless someone shows me the raw file um mm -hmm. in fact that's why i created the competition i created uh, the natural landscape photography awards where we do raw verification of every image that makes it past a certain stage in the competition because oh wow wow yeah because i just got so tired of being deceived and you know trusting people that i just pretty much don't believe anything anymore. And that works pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I think that, you know, publications that we're all familiar with, I think Nat Geo got caught, you know, oh, yeah. trusting an image, you know, was, I don't know, a couple of years ago. I can't even remember what the image was about, but, you know, it failed the well, verification I their, test. I think their first one was, gosh, it was maybe in the 80s or 90s. They had a a cover photo of the pyramids of Giza and I think they actually physically moved the relationship between the two of them or something like that just so that they would fit the cover. Wow. Yeah. So, something like yeah. that. I, I, mean, I wasn't aware of that one. I, I there was one that was I don't know, it was something about trees. I, I kind of I don't re really remember the well, image I remember, very well. Um they had published an image in the magazine. It was a panoramic of the Milky Way in Africa. And it was fake. That is, I, that is one. I know that one. I know that one. Yes. Didn't it have, I think it had trees in, it in, did. in it the It did. Image. They were like those. Yeah, um, that's the one I was thinking of. Yeah. Yep. It, there was a Milky Way and with trees, it was in Africa. Yeah, that is the one. 
And it was yeah. weird because I know, especially now with AI, you know that you know uh, so many people are you know using AI. Well, that's another one. Um, like, there's this photographer mm -hmm. that I used to follow. I don't anymore, and I'll tell you why. Um, where he he's been doing this thing where he posts this he posts these images on Facebook with no description. He'll like title it or something, but no description or anything, and it's fairly obvious to the trained eye that it's AI. And then people will comment or ask, is this AI? And he doesn't even, he doesn't even answer the questions or anything. So I'm like, <laughs> I'm not going to follow you if you're going to just post stuff and then mm -hmm. ignore people's questions like that. That's almost worse than lying to me. So mm -hmm. I just unfollowed him. Mm -hmm. I'm like, you're boring to me. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, there's, a, there's somebody whose work I, I just found on Instagram and, you know, it's like, oh, I really like his work. But when I looked at it closer, I realized that it probably the bulk of what he posted is AI, you know, and I actually took a class on AI because I wanted to see what it was all That's about. It's pretty cool. You know, it was fascinating. It is very cool. You know it I mean? is but very like, cool. It's kind of not there yet for what I do. Right. You know, I was oh, uh, giving close. the and I just didn't really like how anything came out, but there's certain genres that, that or it's pretty amazing. Oh, it's and I think it's only a matter of time where it would be really hard to tell what's real and what's not real. Right now, on certain like, you know, like the people look plastic. You know, skin is too smooth. You know, they're these giveaway signs. But I think it's only a matter of time before it gets so good it will be hard. Yeah, I to, agree. Uh, distinguish what's AI and what's not AI. Yeah, I mean, it kind of is the same as the editing thing, but. If people in the community know you as a photographer and then all you start posting is AI generated mm -hmm. images, the untrained eye is going to assume those are photographs. And I think for the most part, you're, I would, I feel like those people are just taking advantage of that fact. And I just find the whole thing to be super, like I said, it's very antisocial. Like, you know, people mm -hmm. know you as a photographer. So you're taking advantage of the fact that people assume that it was captured with a camera. Mm -hmm. And then you're not saying anything about it. You're purposely leaving out information. So like, what's the point of that? Are you like purposely getting, are you getting joy out of fooling people? Like, I don't understand mm -hmm. what the, why I do that? Well, you know, I was, I wasn't sure about AI. So I thought, well, it was, you know, it was a good course, actually. It was really interesting to see how images are crafted, you know, with the prompts and, right. and everything. It was really interesting. Um, I found it like everything that I did. I mean, it just looked, you know, it was all fakery, you know, and I don't know, maybe that's why I didn't like it because it didn't, it looked so fake. It really did. And I decided, you know, after I took the class that it probably isn't for me. However, people were producing some incredible stuff with AI. Oh, you know, so I think like it, you know, like with everything, I think everything kind of has, has, a, has a place. And I think there may be areas where AI would be really useful. But for my landscape photography, probably not so much, at least not now. Yeah, I mean, but it's I think it's I think it's not as ways to go. I think it's an incredible tool for creative expression mm -hmm. or experimentation mm -hmm. or, you know, you have an idea and you're like, I wonder what it would look like if I combined mm -hmm. astronauts and 
mason jars and i actually did that with a prompt idea i was like i want and it created these cool prompts and i liked the effects and like i had mm-hmm. one where like this astronaut was stuck inside of a mason jar floating in space and it just looked oh, really cool. cool like yeah. you can do some really cool things yeah but i would never yeah. post that and say look at this mm-hmm. photo you know what i mean like that just feels so I don't yeah. get why people do that. That that's the piece that yeah. just puzzles yeah. me. So well, I just you know I decided that it wasn't for me, but I was glad I took the class because now you know what I wasn't sure of before. Like, mm, is this a photograph or or not? I now know it's AI. Right. You know, I became more educated, and you know, as I'm looking and scrolling through images, you know, I can now spot the AI where I wasn't sure before. There's some, but, yeah. there's some pretty gifted um, photographers who have always been very good with Photoshop, who have definitely found ways to incorporate it into their workflow where you cannot mm-hmm. tell. Right. Right. Yeah in this class we had homework and I never produced anything that I thought was terribly worthwhile and at the end of the day I decided I could still like the thrill of the chase of chasing chasing the light chasing the good sunset chasing yeah. you know whatever it might be I still love that aspect of photography the creative side of going out with your camera dialing in your settings that you want to use create an artistic effect I think it's because I enjoy the process so much I, I think that's probably the lo- the biggest reason why I decided AI wasn't for me because I just I enjoy the process of you know making images and being out and you know I'm the same <laughs> yeah 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 all right Betty last question sure who do you recommend for the podcast oh. who are a couple of people that we should learn more about okay well. I think one would be, it's a woman who I've never met, but I follow her on Instagram. And she she primarily uses a drone for her photography, both in producing videos and photos as well. But her work is just mind-blowing. It's so good. And her name is, um, she goes by Hampton's Drone Images, Joanna Steidel. Um, she's on Instagram, and if you haven't seen her work, it is just amazing. And having a drone myself, um, I'm so, I, I shouldn't say, well, envious. I guess I could say envious. Her work is just amazing. I would love to be, like, half as good as she is <laughs> with those drone and her editing. It's so skillful. It's so well done. And then another person I wouldn't hesitate to recommend that's actually a good friend, and his name is Rob Davies. He's a British guy. He's over in England right now great photographer and all around nice guy and and i think both would be really interesting awesome yeah well betty this has been really fun and i feel like we could talk for like six more hours but then people (laughs) probably yeah (laughs) people tune out so yeah yeah well thank you again for having me this was great i really enjoyed it yeah thank you you know yeah well thank you so well enjoy the rest of this summer We've just been plagued with hazy skies when we're not having rain. So still looking for those killer sunsets that the Cape's known for and those killer sunrises. Haven't had many of those this summer. So still hoping, still hoping and waiting. Hopefully you get some. (laughs) Yeah, hopefully. Well, thank you to Betty for the very fun conversation on the podcast today. I really appreciate it. You've convinced me that Cape Cod can be a stunning destination for nature photography. 
I hope to visit your neck of the woods someday. Okay, that's all for now. Thanks for stopping in, collaborating with us, and listening. See you next week.